0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live.
1: Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Juliet Eilprin, Deputy Editor for Climate and Environment here at The Washington Post. As part of our This is Climate series, today we're going to discuss the impact of a warming planet and the global solutions that can help make a global difference. Later, we'll hear from the mayor of Phoenix, Arizona, Kate Gallego, but first, I'm joined by the chief heat officer in Santiago, Chile, Cristina Widobro, and the global chief heat officer for UN Habitat, Eleni Miravili. Eleni is also the interim chief heat officer in Athens, Greece. Cristina, Eleni, welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you very Thanks much. Great, Great to see both of you. Christina, let's start with you. The concept of a chief heat officer is relatively new. Could you explain to our, office, uh, to our audience what your role is and what you've accomplished since taking on this post?
2: Okay. Yes, it's, uh, it's new for all of us, not only in Santiago, Chile. And I think the main um, our we're aim to bring awareness, bring awareness to the public but also to the decision-makers, the authorities, in order to get to know how important extreme heat is, um, is, is as a a hazard, right? It's because nobody thinks that heat might really kill people and the heat, the extreme heat is a a hazard that we need to tackle, we need to address in order to continue to live the lives we are used to uh, live, right? Most people think uh, that climate change won't affect them, like it's it's a problem that is not near them. And everyone that is living in a city, uh, a city like Santiago with eight million people, is um, exposed to extreme heat and its effects. So first of all awareness and second how t- we can adapt our city to this uh, new normal right this extreme heat exposure. So trying to bring more green within the city uh, we're trying to 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 think in, in a range of pro- uh, projects that we can uh, help the bring a little the cooler uh, getting to the in our cities.
1: Great. And Eleni, in Athens, you broke heat waves into four different categories. Could you explain what those categories are and what you learned from classifying them in different ways, according to what kind of threat they pose to human health?
3: Well, this, this is something that we piloted uh, last summer for the first time in Athens and in Seville, which is also an extremely hot city in Europe. Uh, what we did is, together with uh, the Resilience Resilience Center Scientific uh, Committee, we um, f- um, measured, we took the data from two uh, decades of temperatures in Athens, but also of mortality. So we f- we tried to correlate and figure out what kind of temperatures raise the levels of mortality, the percentage of mortality, uh, specifically for the city of Athens or for the city of Seville for that matter. And then uh, we created an algorithm which is again specific for the city and which can then be used to, um, um, to um, uh, how do we call it to, to figure out the next heat wave that's going to hit the city, how dangerous it's going to be. So depending on the level of danger that each heat wave uh, poses to the population. Uh, we have uh, a category zero, basically, which is that it's a heat, it's a hot day, but it's not particularly dangerous for people. Only uh, very vulnerable pop- uh, groups should take care and take cover. Category one, which means that we have to start really taking care of the most vulnerable communities, and it goes up to two, and then finally to three. And category three is uh, a very high danger. Um, levels of really high danger to the health and the mortality of our people. And we have to take extreme measures uh, to make sure that we can protect them. So it's really great to have these types of categories because um, it's it's important for policymakers and decision makers to, to be able to respond to to the impact of heat waves. So instead of just saying, oh, this is a very hot day or we have 38 degrees or 37 degrees or 13, I guess this is uh, Fahrenheit is like around 100 or more uh, or so. um, And it's a a dangerous day. It's really important to, to kind of start to understand that we're talking about levels of percentage of danger for the health of our population. And 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 to put measures in uh, effect that can protect especially the most vulnerable.
1: Got it. And Christina, Santiago is Santiago is is home to roughly forty percent of Chile's residents, right? With uh, with more roughly eight million people living there. What could you talk a little about? What are the threats that a city with so many people living in it faces when it comes to extreme heat?
2: Yes, of course. Well, it's a city as big as Santiago, a metropolitan area, um, combines a lot of problems. Not only uh, a lot of segregation that is very common in Latin America, uh, but also areas of the city where you don't have many green, you don't have um, uh, public spaces or or parks. And things. So, most most vulnerable people live in those areas so if you combine and you the index of uh, the the access of green spaces and the poverty or vulnerability in index, the indexes they usually um, are the, in, are uh, converting the same area and most of those are uh, urban heat islands um, neighborhoods with uh, extre- um, sorry um yeah. so, so those type of neighborhoods um are have uh, people with uh, have um energy poverty, uh, mm-hmm. with um, some of them, the houses are not well constructed, not, wet, not well uh, isolated. So um, they need, uh, and, and there's a lot of people living in the same house. So uh, you have a, a really crowded uh, population. So those are um, actually things we need to take a look into it because those people are more exposed to the effects of uh, heat. Right, the, 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 when Elenio uh, talks about the vulnerable population, we all, always think in in the, the infants, the the young people, uh, the the elderly people, the 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 women that are pregnant, also migrants. We have a, a huge wave of migration in Santiago, and most of them live in those areas, and they 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 they, they, they don't have enough resources to to have, for example, um. Isolate the houses, have access to some some of them are in 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 neighborhoods with are not even um, settled. So some of them don't even have access to water. So these are a a combination of problems, yeah. So are really wicked, really complex. Um, but the good news, okay, is that nobody has to die from extreme heat. So as Lenio said, we also have a red coat. Um, in Santiago so we have uh, categorized the, the the temperatures that are um uh, dangerous to people and we and the authorities need to take actions toward to to protect these uh, people so uh, um, in schools in 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 some um, in the hospitals so they can address these vulnerable people and try to to keep them safe mostly uh, giving them yeah. Like hydrating them, you need to rest and take uh, take sh- uh, go to a shade or or, or or don't expose yourself to the heat. So it's not that we need to do something really complicated to keep people safe mm-hmm. and and this I, I think that message is the one that we're trying to put out uh, during our campaign in this in actually in, in our summer.
1: And just to follow up briefly on that, so when you're talking about these kind of urban heat islands, right, becoming literal hotspots that basically when you don't have enough greenery and you have more paved surfaces, in some ways that that intensifies the heat that people living in these areas that have already energy poverty are exposed to, you, you obviously outline some of the kind of immediate steps you can take when a heat wave is going on. Are there broader changes underway in Santiago? Is there, you know, a concerted effort to do tree planting, to do other changes to some of these areas so that they will be more resilient in the long term? Yeah,
2: we just started uh, a couple of months ago our first regional uh, urban tree planting program. The idea is to bring more greenery, especially to these um, areas. We are starting with a... Pilot program uh, uh, for about two million dollars, um, but the governor uh, Claudio Rego, he already is committed to to continue to to this first program in order to bring at least two hundred thousand more uh, trees to the region in the near future. The idea is to uh, to to put some. Uh, 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 Pocket uh, forest, like this is small, I don't know, you know the technique Miyawaki, the Japanese technique to bring this small like forest in in within the city, uh, also these trees uh, along the streets, and of course in parks and recreational areas. The idea is to put as as green as much as green as we can in order to tackle the the heat in the and, and improve the quality of life of uh, most of these areas.
1: Wonderful. Eleni, you've talked about how the number of heat-related deaths are underreported. And clearly this is an area where you know there's an absence of information, there's a lack of understanding. Could you explain both how deadly this threat is and what efforts governments are taking to have a more accurate assessment of how many people, whether it's in Athens or elsewhere, are dying from extreme heat?
3: So we we know that today we, there is about 350 cities in the world that uh, where people are facing temperatures that above that are above um, 35 degrees Celsius, uh, which is temperatures that are starting to be really dangerous for the human body. And we know that in the next few decades, it's going to rise from 350 to close to 1,000 cities. And uh, by the end of this century, uh, we're talking about almost half the population of the planet um having to face temperatures that are our bodies are not made for and our cities are are not made for what happens to our bodies is that when the temperature rises um the uh, the the body starts losing its capacity to regulate its internal um, um, temperature its internal um, yeah its internal temperature yeah so so it starts uh, the, uh, you start having a heat stroke, and different um, um, organs start to um, ha- have a hard time coping with the temperatures. And um, so in 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 cities like uh, Christina said, like in Santiago or in Athens, or other cities that are used to uh, people are used to being hot in the summer, they don't really realize that we're talking about a different type of heat, that we're talking about temperatures that are higher, longer and more frequent in the summers, that, uh, that our summers are becoming significantly hotter and our bodies are not used to these temperatures. And uh, we are seeing issues that don't, beyond kind of a lot of different health problems. Uh, we also see mental health problems rising as heat rises. We're seeing uh, issues of violence in communities rising, problems with um, education, kids not being able to absorb um, information very well. We're, we have more and more studies uh, where we realize that uh, it's a. It's we've been talking about global warming, but we really haven't uh, studied the effects of what that means to to humans and to especially to urban populations. So um, we we have increasingly we have data about. Temperatures and about um, climate change and the effects of climate change and how um, we have data from satellites that tells us a lot about um, the as Christina uh, pointed to, like where are the hotspots in cities, so we know where to target our um, our um, initiatives. Mm-hmm. However, we're still lacking a lot of um, data, uh, for example, around as you said health we don't really it's difficult to get data around health uh, mortality and morbidity especially um in in countries that are um in part of the global south it's really difficult to get to get data that uh, so that we know and we start figuring out um, what really the effects are? It's hard to get data about what the impact of heat is on our economies. We're just now starting to see um, um, reports on, um, uh, for example, the global GDP and how. What is the expectation? Of because of lower productivity, because uh, with heat we can't work so well and we have um, also more work-related injuries, but also just a loss of productivity. Just from that, we know that we're going to have a significant problem with um, um, people being able to... to
1: as- to work and things like that right? to
2: work and to
3: survive on jobs especially with manual jobs people lose their daily wages because they can't work and when they lose their daily wages this is like th- 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 um, this a terrible detrimental uh, issue for families that are um uh, living day to day and and um so these are issues that we have to really look at, and the data for these types of things can make uh, politicians and can make governments take the right type of policies, but not just governments, also um, um, foundations, humanitarian aid, et cetera, like to learn how to target the
1: people that are most affected by these things. Right. And we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask two questions, one, one to each of you from our, from our audience. So Eleni, Sandra Bear from Washington, D.C. asks, what are the top three ways, every, uh, top three steps every community should take to address extreme heat and the lack of safe drinking water? Can you name a, a few steps, two or three steps that every community can take?
3: The lack of safe drinking water is another big issue. I mean, water is is a really really significant aspect for heat and the more we realize about as as christina said as you mentioned before Mm -hmm. trees and nature is the best solution that we have right now we have other solutions too but trees and nature are the best solution that we have for lowering temperatures in cities and we have to radically bring them into the urban um, um, fabric to really radically bring green and nature in their urban fabric water as well. We have to figure out, and this is the second thing. So one is nature. The second thing is water, which is we have to figure out backup water. That's not drinkable water to really support our green nature. Uh, So figure out more sustainable use of resources and, for example, uh, sewer mining for supporting our our nature in cities. And finally, the last thing, I'll go back to what said awareness raising we really have to get the word out with early warning systems and with uh, raising constantly the, the the knowledge around the world about how the fact how
1: dangerous heat is for the human body and for our communities and society Wonderful, and Christina, very quickly, I want to squeeze in in like sixty seconds the last question. Th- Theron Russell of Maryland asks, what should government and nonprofits be doing now to protect low income residents from present and future heat waves you You've already outlined some of the things you're doing in Santiago. Is there one other thing that nonprofits or governments should be doing christina that that comes to mind I, I will say something that
2: might not be very popular with people is say. I agree with Lenio. we should bring more greenery more trees within the neighborhood and 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 try not to 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 do the first thing that we always say, uh, put a air air conditioner in every home or green the, or, or or make these cooling centers most people that work with me say ah we should do like the US or the Europe cooling centers bring AC in every houses and AC is part of the problem it's not the solution so i get that might be like a quick a answer, but it's going to increase the problem. We are talking about heat here. We don't want more heat outside the homes or in the neighborhoods. So I would say I, I know we need to plant uh, start planting trees today in order to see the benefits in 20, 30 years, but that's why it's so urgent. We need to do it. Now and try to address th- this thing in the long term, and not try to bring these popular or 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 easy solutions that uh, is going to increase the pro- uh, problem in the long run. So I would say that.
1: Yes, thank you, Christina, because some of our audience might not know that air conditioning actually emits very potent greenhouse gas gases that uh, help warm the planet. So thank you. We'll continue to follow this critical story, and Christina Eleni, thank you for joining us here on Washington Post Live. We really appreciate your knowledge, and thanks to all of you for joining. Please stay with us for the next segment of this conversation.
0: The following segment was produced and paid for by a Washington Post Live event sponsor. The Washington Post newsroom was not involved in the production of this content. Hi, I'm Kathleen Koch. Solving the challenge of a warming world isn't just a government responsibility. Corporations are increasingly stepping up and applying their scientific know-how. Here to talk about that issue and some of the innovations they've come up with to help affect, uh, help mitigate the impacts of climate change is 3M marketing operations manager Carrie Nisgaki. Hi, Carrie. Thanks for joining me.
4: Hi, Kathleen. Happy to be here.
0: Carrie, 3M's motto is science applied to life. How are you innovating to help create science-based solutions to climate change?
4: Sure. We're fortunate that at 3M, sustainability really is at the core of our company. As we're developing products and solutions, we need to show a sustainability value commitment, which is really our company requirement that... Every new product needs to demonstrate how it is impacting the greater good. In our roofing business, we're also interested in how we address climate issues in communities, rising temperatures, but also meeting the demand of consumers who are looking for more eco-friendly materials in their construction material choices.
0: I'll bet that in the process of this research, uh, 3M has formed some interesting partnerships. So who, who have you been working with and where are you testing out your ideas?
4: Sure. We wanted to investigate a little bit further into what other communities may be experiencing extreme heat events, urban heat island challenges. And we worked with applied climatologists. What they do is model weather pattern and climate patterns over... Um, different cities and can can model out what the impact may be. And so what we learned was if the urban heat island can be taken down just one or two degrees, it can save lives during an extreme heat event. In cities like Chicago and Boston, cities that we wouldn't typically think of being uh, prone to extreme heat events, but their infrastructure may not be uh, as resilient to those high temperatures. And we're also working with our customers in collaborating on unique solutions, as well as continuing to research with consumers. And one of my favorite sayings when working with the R&D team, when we're looking at a, a problem we're trying to solve or evaluating an opportunity, sometimes I'll hear that hasn't been invented yet, and yet really is that jumping off point and where the innovation really begins. Carrie, as urban populations grow and natural
0: land areas shrink, urban heat islands are taking an increasing toll on human health. How has 3M tackled that problem? Specifically, I understand you've created a cool roof technology?
4: Yes, when cool roofing was invented, cool roofing granules were invented, they were really designed to help homeowners save on energy costs in climates with year-round cooling. But they became more widely adopted in California and specifically to help mitigate the urban heat island effects. So the city of Los Angeles established a building code that required all residential homes, and construction of all residential homes include a cool roof. And that was really to help reduce the human health impact of the urban heat islands. That sounds really smart. Have other cities followed suit? Not to the extent of Los Angeles. But another uh, concept and product that's out there that's really capturing the imagination of people and communities and, um, is around smog reducing technology. And so we've been brought to market a smog reducing roofing granule that integrates into a shingle surface, which um, asphalt shingles are the most widely used roofing material on homes across the country. And so we're able to transform that into a smog fighting surface. It reacts with the sun and transforms smog gases into a plant usable form of nitrogen, uh, similar to planting two to three trees. That's fascinating.
0: Well, rising temperatures are a global problem that the public and private sector must, must really solve together. What do you wish that more government officials knew about your work at 3M and the potential impact you can have in this area?
4: Sure. A range of cooling solutions are already available at 3M, and we're eager to partner on products and technologies that can really help address the many issues that communities are facing due to extreme heat. Uh, we've We've seen success with infrastructure policies, like the City of LA, and we're encouraged by the continuing conversations around how we can make our communities more resilient against our changing climate.
0: Carrie Nizgaki, 3M Marketing Operations Manager, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Kathleen. Great to see you. And now I'll toss it back to The Washington Post. And now, back to Washington Post Live. Welcome back. For those
1: of you just joining us, welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Juliet Eilprin, Deputy Editor for Climate and Environment here at The Washington Post. I'm now joined by Phoenix Mayor Kate Gallego to discuss how local leaders are finding ways to address extreme heat here in the United States. Mayor Gallego, welcome to Washington Post Live. So good to be with you, Juliet. Thanks so much. So Phoenix is the hottest city in America, I know they talk about a dry heat. I've been there and enjoyed it myself. But since the daily high reaches 100 degrees on a near daily basis between May and September, how do you cope with that? It's part of the reason that we're really making it a
5: priority here to try to find solutions. The country is divided about many political issues. But I can tell you, summer in Phoenix, we're all united in wanting to make sure we don't get any hotter and that we try to create as comfortable of an environment as possible we are proud to be the first city in the country to have created a permanent office within our municipal government related to heat we call ours the office of heat response and mitigation so similar but not exactly the same as the two offices that you just highlighted we wanted to make sure there's a place to go for great ideas related to addressing heat there's a lot of innovation happening and people including our city employees and residents have ideas about how we might do better. So now we have a one-stop shop for all of those ideas. It has been a great resource for our businesses, our city employees, and just for innovative companies who have solutions. Since we're coming out of a segment with 3M, I will highlight some of the ways we've used technology on heat. We have, we believe, the country's largest cool pavement program, where we do a lighter colored coating on our city streets. Arizona State University is our partner on this program and has found 10 to 12 degrees cooling as a result of that coating. All mayors hate potholes, so we're also pleased to share that it seems to result in fewer potholes because the pavement doesn't have to expand and contract as much, so it lasts
0: longer.
5: We're also just looking at our building code and other areas, if there's technology solutions where we can do better. Uh, Great journalism yesterday in the Washington Post about shipping containers. So uh, we were the Super Bowl host committee in Central Arizona this week and um, Washington Post editorial team wrote about a Super Bowl story you might have missed, which was how we're investing in innovative technology, including shipping containers, R26 insulation, solar panels on top. But we had to change some of our city processes to allow the solar panels to go out into the right of way it's beloved when you create more shade over the sidewalks. And it was a pretty simple fix. But again, we just needed to make sure we had government set up for the innovation that's happening.
1: Got it. And uh, you yeah, obviously, so you just outlined some of the different ways you're becoming a heat ready city in terms of technology. Are there any non-technological you know, technological advances, but but other techniques that you've adopted that are really helping address this this challenge and make sure that you're avoiding unnecessary deaths or just disruption to people's lives because of the rising temperatures?
5: A trend with today's conversation is that investment in tree canopy. We were the first city in the U.S. to take American Forest Tree Equity Pledge. We said that as we plant trees in our city, we would do it with an eye towards equity. Like many communities, our wealthier areas tend to have more tree cover than the areas that have not had as much investment. The city said on the tree investment, as well as many others, we hope to train change that and we're going to measure ourselves. So we are taking both local dollars and federal dollars and putting trees in. We're creating 100 cool corridors where we have both cool pavement and the tree cover. Uh, It's interesting what cities say about themselves when they're on the national stage and international stage. So with Super Bowl in our community, we had 6,000 credentialed media visiting. It was the media center is walking distance from where I am right now. And we took the local bus shelters and talked about some of the things we're doing in innovative solutions, including the cool corridors. I think that's a real point of pride for me. We're saying Phoenix is paying attention to heat and we care about solutions. That is what we want to tell the world when the world is visiting us. Uh, In addition to cool corridors, we have a great program, our residential tree equity accelerator. It was actually in part inspired by Freetown in Sierra Leone, which has a program where they hire local residents to care for their trees. We are training local residents so that they'll understand uh, the basic principles of tree care, can maybe create a small business if that's of an interest, and and putting money into the communities where we're planting trees, which we hope will create good jobs in addition to political support, plus you get the lower air conditioning bills or more comfortable environment as those trees grow and create cooler communities.
1: And where are you struggling to make headway? What are some of the biggest obstacles that you're facing right now as you're trying to make these changes? So I I guess it's probably a, a good problem to have, but we've made so much investments
5: in these areas, there isn't always capacity. So we got ahead of workforce in some of these green jobs. And that's part of the reason we are trying to create the accelerator and do training for local residents so that we have the workforce for the green jobs. But again, that's a good problem to have. We also need to, as we rapidly expand our investment in tree canopy, make sure that we have the trees to be planting. We are pursuing some of the federal dollars in the Inflation Reduction Act for urban forestry, and we're working hard to build the capacity in our community to achieve those goals. We are the fifth largest city in the country, so we know it may be a little bit easier for us than some other communities, but it's a pretty rapid expansion in interest in urban forestry. And so it's a workforce challenge and a supply chain challenge. Who would have thought we could get supply chain into any conversation these days? But There there you, you go.
1: And, and that leads into the question of, uh, in terms of your tree canopy, in 2010, Phoenix pledged right, to, to grow a tree canopy to shade 25% of its land by the end of the decade. Where are you uh, along the trajectory of meeting that goal?
5: we are really proud of of how much we've ramped up and we are continuing to work we also had some real challenges with some rough summer storms and we planted in right-of-ways where the root box wasn't big enough always to maintain the trees so we lost some of the new trees we planted we um, have seen i think a huge acceleration with federal partnership so first we were one of the communities that took american rescue plan dollars and put it into heat and she shade trees. And then maybe not a story that's been told a lot, but the Inflation Reduction Act is a generational investment in American forests and tree equity, including urban forests. And so we are still competing for those dollars, but we think that could be the most important partnership we have in achieving our goals. Mm -hmm. I've also been really impressed with the private sector stepping up. Cisco has been a partner with us in terms of the data tools. There's a sustainability focused bank called Aspiration and their customers plant trees with their investments in financial accounts. They have partnered with us as well. And just fun community driven stories. So we have a robust Sikh community here. They just celebrated the 550th anniversary of the birth of their guru. And they did it by planting 550 trees in a low-income neighborhood in Phoenix. So what a wonderful gift to the entire community to celebrate that anniversary. We're hoping it'll okay. be the new trend. So if you know okay. anyone who's retiring, maybe a, a tree planting gift would be the way to go. And
1: understood, all right, so that's it. I wanna move on to another question, but just to ask briefly, do you know what percentage of the canopy is covered at this point? Uh, can, do you have a rough estimate of where you are? And, do or... not. not right now. All right. Um, so, um, urban areas, as we've discussed, tend to concentrate heat and clearly you've talked about some of the things to do, including cool pavement, you know, other, other ways to address this. Are, are there anything individual residents can do to help curb the heat aside from, as you mentioned, maybe plant a tree, um, in, in honor of someone else or themselves, or are there, are there specific individual actions that you see that are making a difference in these urban areas?
5: So the choices you make with the built environment are very important what type of building materials you use makes an impact. Transportation choices are enormously important. We are trying to create the cool corridors program in areas where people will be most likely to be walking and biking. So we hope if we do our part that our residents will feel more comfortable leaving the car behind and taking a walk or bike to work. And again, that can help both with greenhouse gas emissions as well as a source of
1: heat and when we talk about you know for example in phoenix i think roughly 300 people a year die from extreme heat who has been you know when you look beyond those statistics who's been most at risk obviously there're different vulnerable populations but when you've looked at who in your community is actually suffering the greatest toll who who are those folks are are we looking at the elderly is it the homeless what how does that Um, How has that manifested itself in Phoenix? So people with medical
5: challenges where you can't control your body temperature are obviously hugely at risk. Uh, People experiencing homelessness. We do have a significant concentration of mobile homes, and those tend to have challenges, particularly those who were built before some building code changes that happened in the 1990s. Those homes do not tend to have great insulation and can be quite hot in the summer. We are challenging our technology partners who have come up with great solutions for fire alarms and other notification technologies. Can you help us with technology solutions so that we know when a vulnerable individual is in a home that is getting too hot? And I'm hopeful we'll have some breakthroughs to announce in that area soon, but that's an area where I hope the private sector will step up because it seems like a really solvable challenge around what is the safe indoor temperature. Got it. And um, some We also people- have a real challenge with um, narcotics. And so fentanyl in particular combined with heat is, is a real challenge.
1: And some people in Phoenix have been dying uh, in part because of a lack of access to air conditioning and therefore having their bodies overheat. What is the role that the government can play in that, especially given as we were just discussing in our last segment that, of course, air conditioning actually helps fuel global warming. But at the same time, it is it is a critical way that particularly in the United States and in many countries, people cope with extreme heat.
5: We have made the decision that cooling centers make sense for our community. We, as much as possible, are trying to power our local energy supply with renewable energy We have more than 300 degrees of sun and are investing big in solar energy, which obviously if an air conditioning is powered by solar, it's a little bit greener than if it's powered by fossil fuels. So we have a network throughout our community with city-sponsored cooling centers, and then we partner with philanthropy and faith organizations as well. And we try to make sure people know where you can get a cool drink of water, a place to cool down. And that, I believe, has saved a lot of lives in our community. So it's a policy decision that makes sense for me.
1: I don't know how many mayors in major cities have studied environmental science in college, but obviously you're one of them. And I was wondering if you could talk a little about why that's the case, what drew you to it and how does it inform the decisions that you're making now that you're in elected office? I grew up with asthma. And while you're wheezing by the cra- track, you
5: have a chance to reflect on on areas like air quality. I also just got very interested in environmental issues. Being a Southwestern community, it's very important to understand our water supply and incredibly important to the future of our communities. I first got involved with the city working on solar energy and our solar energy program at the city of Phoenix. And I, like many people in Phoenix, were drawn to our community in part because of our amazing outdoor spaces. We have more acres of parks than any other city in the United States, especially our mountain parks are a really special place to me personally. So my academic passions have lined up very well with the public policy needs in our community. And I think that's been a good background. Most big city mayors, at least for a while, were lawyers. And so I have a a different background with an MBA and an environmental degree. But for a city like Phoenix and the challenges we face, it's often been a very good background, although no background is perfect.
1: Who, as you mentioned, have been focused on, this, on the challenges in, uh, in Phoenix for a long time, but not every city has made this a priority. We have a question from the audience. Reggie Teasley from New York asks, how can we motivate our city and county governments to grasp the impacts of global war- global heating? So could you talk a little about
5: that? And cities have stepped up in a big way so i've been proud to be part of a network of mayors called climate mayors we have 400 mayors in the united states who have joined that network which created was created after the us pulled out of the paris accords cities said okay the united states is not actively engaged in paris accords but cities want to move forward and many cities have been incredibly ambitious we have 138 american cities that committed to net zero by 2050 for a growing city like mine, that's a real commitment. You have to change policy from the built environment to transportation to how you develop your economy. It has worked well for us. And so if climate data isn't convincing your local elected officials, maybe some on economic growth would matter. Phoenix was in the spotlight last December when President Biden joined the CEO of Apple and others at the um, major announcement for TSMC, the global semiconductor foundry. Apple is their biggest customer and Apple's made ambitious commitments on sustainability. So when TSMC was making a decision about where to invest, they wanted a community that could help them with their renewable energy goals and Apple right there with them. That will change our economy forever. It's a $40 billion investment, and it's attracting suppliers, educational partners. We have guys who struggled to find a job, men and women who struggled to find a job, particularly people who had maybe a, a felony in their record. And now the construction market is so intense in Phoenix that people are getting very high-wage jobs. Experienced construction workers are going into semiconductors, and there's a ton of new entry-level apprenticeships. Positions which are taking in people who, again, struggled to find employment before. So that's just one example of an economic deal where sustainability was one of many factors, but one that helped us attract high wage jobs. I would hope the climate impacts and the legacy we leave behind our kids for our kids would motivate many people, but I understand everyone has their different path
1: to interest in these issues. So those are my big dollar signs. Um, I wanted to ask one question about kind of transparency, whether it's on the part of the government or, say, like a major home builder in the Phoenix area. Josh Partlow is one of the members at the climate team. He's written a number of powerful stories, including ones from, you know, a suburb of Phoenix, where you know folks basically bought homes and did not realize that they were going to be cut off in terms of their water supply. It's a slightly different um you, you know climate risk, but absolutely related to the warming temperatures. Is there more that you feel like either the government can demand or that you know the private sector has to step up in giving you know the residents in Phoenix and elsewhere a sense? of how climate is affecting them and what steps they want to think about making or or decisions they need to factor in when they're making major decisions, you know, about where they live and how they work and so forth.
5: It is a real challenge here in Arizona. We had Janet Napolitano was our governor and pushed for a major climate action plan for the state after she became secretary of Homeland Security. There was a major political change and the legislature passed legislation saying we weren't going to work on climate action. It really We struggled just to get basic data after that bill passed. We've also been preempted at the local government level on energy building disclosures. So unfortunately, data is political. The data clearly shows this is an issue for our community that we need to pay attention, but not everyone has come to the table and even been willing to collect the data as opposed to just responding to it and creating public policies around it. Uh, We're having a debate over legislation in Arizona right now, which would do a lot of zoning by right. And I'm concerned... That could be very dangerous in areas that don't have as strong
1: as water supply as the city of Phoenix. And we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask you one last question, because you did talk a little bit about the long term and, and people looking ahead. So what's your hope for Phoenix when you look at what life will be like in 2050, for example, given the steps you're taking now and, and what we're facing in terms of rising temperatures? What What's your vision of what it's like in mid-century?
5: People in Phoenix understand this is a challenge, and they've stepped up to the plate. It's my hope that Phoenix will become a center for the most advanced technology in this area, as well as proven solutions like tree planting. That the most innovative minds in heat will say, "This is a government and a private sector and a nonprofit sector that all care about these issues." I have a cool idea, pun intentional, and I'm going to go to Phoenix to implement it because we're going to have great partners there. So I believe we have the runway and the political support at the Phoenix local level to be leading edge on solutions. And hopefully there'll be great ideas coming out of Phoenix so that yesterday's Washington Post piece on our housing innovation will be one of many that you'll get to talk about in the future.
1: Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, this is all the time we have. Mayor Kate Gallego, thank you so much for joining us.
5: Thank you, Juliet. It's been a pleasure, and thank you for your important coverage.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.